let's stand all over the house this evening and let's uh, again worship those joining online. We welcome you to service tonight. Let's sing an old hymn of the church. Let my life be a light to some soul. Let's worship tonight.
remain standing for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we welcome you in this place tonight. Lord, we pray every song that is sung, every note that is played would be for the glory and the honor of you. Father, we pray, God, tonight that you would inhabit the praises of your people. And Lord, we thank you for the spirit of God that we felt in this house this morning. And God, we ask that that same spirit be with us today in this evening's service. In Christ's name, we pray and ask these things. And the people of God together said, Amen. 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 Will you take this time to greet those around you in the Lord? God bless you. time we're going to go right back into worship uh, we're going to sing some praise choruses these you'll probably know and let's just continue to worship the lord
worship you, Lord. We magnify your name. Oh 
hands all over the house. You just lift them up and let's sing it. I will bless the Lord. She said, do you not have faith? I, I didn't know how to take that. 
I uh, said, I do have faith, but I also believe in money. And um, money talks. And I said, she said, well, you don't believe God can send the cattle on a thousand hills? I said, yes, he can. She said, well, I know some pretty wealthy people. Or she first said, there's a lot of people looking our way. And, uh, and so, you know, there might be more coming. I said, well, you send them, ask them to pay when they come, we'll build that church. And, uh, and then she said, well, I know a wealthy uh, individual and, and probably close to it. And she said, if they're not a millionaire, they're close to it. And I'm going to tell them we, we need some finances. We're trying to build a church. I said, if he sends a check, I'll put his name in the carpet. I don't care. If he sends the right amount of money, I'll put his name right on the stage in a piece of carpet. I'll have it etched in there. So if you come up here with a million dollars, you tell me what spot of the carpet you want your name. We'll etch it in there if we don't have to, we don't have to pay for all of that. But, uh, but I do believe God is truly uh, up to something uh, here at the church. A lot of excitement, a lot of buzz. We're getting visitors to check us out. We're, our online presence, people streaming us online is picking up pretty well. And, uh, and we're getting more and more, uh, I don't want to say recognition, but I, that's the only word I can think of at the current moment of people knowing we're here. And they're, they're tuning in. And so... Hopefully the Lord will continue, but uh, uh, it just seems like He is continuing to bless and bless and bless. It, it's hard to believe that almost uh, almost four years ago, uh, where we were and where we are now. And uh, I was looking at the calendar and I thought, man, you know, July will be here before you know it. I was counting back from July 2019. I'm like, man, four years. Like, I've aged um, a lot. I've had more gray hair now. And uh, but I did get somebody in California to think I'm still in college. So either she's blind or she's anointed. I don't know which one, but I appreciate her thinking I still went to college. But uh, with that being said, I do believe over the last three and a half years or so, God has really been special to our church, to our community of believers. Um, we've got our hands and things in the community and involved with CLM and involved with some things going on in the Berkeley County uh, offices. They're trying to start a uh, a, a ministry within our community. Brother Randy represented me a couple weeks ago, and then he and I will be uh, traveling again as these things pick up there at the community um, building there. But they're, they're trying to create areas here for, like, emergency response and disaster relief areas. And uh, they're looking for churches to be people that can help when there's crisis that happened. And they re they, I didn't reach out to them. They called me and said, we've heard a lot about your church. Would you be willing to be one of the people that helps with the emergency responses if we had issues? whatever whether it's hosting a situation or whether it was being a place people could come to if we needed a, a place i said if it will mean, mean our name gets out in the community tell me where to sign up and so we're getting more information about that but uh, the community is going to know more about us and hear about us and so um, that's the way we, 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 we've been saying that our vision for 2022 and 2023 is we want to reach one person one family one community and so far we have seen new families start coming to the church and being part of our church so god is honoring that he is doing that and uh and and i believe that as we continue to grow with new people like brett and vanessa and carrie ann and her family and others i believe that we'll eventually start reaching communities and people are going to start telling people about what god is doing and so uh, i want to celebrate that i always want to give god credit for that psalms 142 verse 1 if you haven't i'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of god's word I won't have you stand very long, but I want to honor his word. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. And with my voice to the Lord, I will make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him, and I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, God, you knew my path. 
in the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. They've tried to trap me. Look at my right hand and see, for no one acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares about my soul. But I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend, Lord, or hear my cry, for I am brought very low. Anybody feel like they've ever been very low before in life? Just you've hit rock bottom. Very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they seem to be stronger than I. Anybody ever felt like the situation you're in was stronger than you were? You've tried. It's not that you're not fighting, but it seems to be stronger than you are at the moment. But don't forget, the greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. It might seem stronger, but you have a higher power that is a whole lot stronger than anything you go through. He says, Lord, bring my soul out of prison. He's not talking about literal prison in terms of he's been arrested. The psalmist is not saying, I've been arrested. It's a psalm of David. He's not saying, I'm in jail. He's saying, I'm a prison of my own self, of my own mind, of my own emotions. I'm a prisoner of my own self. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll just be honest. I've been there before where my own self was my worst enemy, not the people around me. I had imprisoned myself in emotions. I had incarcerated myself in a situation. I had no one to blame but me. I'm the one that put myself in, if you will, metaphorical prison of life. He said, but that I bring me out of prison, God, so that I can praise your name. So when I come out of this place, nobody else gets credit but you, God. The righteous shall surround me because they will see you have dealt bountifully with me. What he's saying is, God, bring me out so that I can tell everybody else about the God who brought me out. So tonight I want to talk very briefly is how to defeat discouragement. This world right now in which we live, there is a bunch of people that are discouraged. They put on a smile. They paint their face with makeup. They, they, they go around shaking hands. They, are, they meet and greet. They'll greet you with a handshake and a smile. And when they leave this door, out of these double doors, and they get in their car, before the four rubber tires ever turn onto the asphalt pavement of 52, they face their situation all over again. They came to church. They fought it. They persevered. They drove here. They came here. They heard the message. They heard the singing. But many people drive off of properties every Sunday and Wednesday those four rubber tires start to roll off of a church pavement or parking lot area when it makes contact with the highways and the byways of life everything else that they were carrying more often than not they take right back home with them right with them there's a lot of people that have learned the, the mastery of smiling in the midst of turmoil laughing in the midst of pain and putting on a mask or a facade to make think everything's great when really everything inside of them is nothing more than falling apart all around them. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to think is that God cannot bring you out. He wants you to think you can try all you want to but God's going to leave you there and he doesn't know anything about you. He's not going to help you. But I want to remind you today those online, those in house, those that may stream this later, God never intended to leave you where you are, but he always intended to bring you out from where you are. He intended to bring you out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, hide me behind the cross of Calvary and help me to preach your unadulterated word. 
Let it not be my words, but your words that are spoken. Let every man, woman, boy, or girl, those watching online, those in-house, those that stream later at a later date, let them leave this place knowing that they have heard not a message from a mere mortal man, but they have heard a message from the throne room of heaven. A rhema word, and a right now, a fresh bread word. I pray you would take a coal to the altar of heaven and anoint these lips of clay and hide me behind the cross. Do not let me be seen or heard, but let it be your mouthpiece, me as your mouthpiece be heard and seen. Let you be high lifted up so you draw on men unto yourselves. Let every word that is spoken be for the edifying and the upbuilding of your kingdom. Help us not to only be hearers of this word, but doers of it likewise. And we will forever give you the glory, the honor, and the praise that's due your name. And the people of God together said amen. You may be seated. I read a story one time of a, it was an old legend. It was a if you will, a satirical work of art. It didn't really happen. It was more of metaphorical or satire. It was a to teach a lesson, if you will, but not an actual real-life event that took place of a time where the devil was actually having a auction, a yard sale, if you will, an auction. And he was selling off some of his property and he was auctioning off pride, and he was auctioning off jealousy and laziness and arrogance and hate, so on and so forth. He was, he was letting the highest bidder, if you will, receive that. But as the people came in and was bidding and trying to buy these different things, there was a tool they noticed that was sitting off by itself and had a sign around it that said, this one is not for sale. Someone went up to the devil and asked why this particular tool was so important that the devil was not willing to part ways with it. And the devil replied, because with this tool, I can pry into the heart of any man, woman, boy, or girl. And once I do that, I can almost do anything I want to with them. It is my chief tool. The person replied back, well, what is this tool? Is it pride? He said, no, no, it's not pride. And they said, well, is it laziness? No, it's not laziness. They said, what is this tool? And the devil replied, it is discouragement. Because if I ever get them to beat themselves up, they'll do whatever I want them to do. Because they won't believe in who they are and in whose they are. You know, we live in a world right now where it is full. All around us, there are discouraged people who don't know what to do. The world is collapsing around them. Everything that they are used to, they've depended on, seems to be gone. Their foundations have been destroyed. They don't know where to turn. Perhaps they've even considered ending it all. Let's think about this. There has never been a suicide that has ever taken place where discouragement was not involved in the room. Nobody goes in there happy-go-lucky and takes their life. If they're happy, they're probably not going to take their life. Normally, every time you find a suicidal note, someone who has prematurely taken their life, most every one of those particular suicide notes, if you read them, you can feel the pain in the words that are written. They may write things to their family, to their mothers, their fathers, their sisters, their brothers, whomever it may be. And it may say mom or dad or, you know, husband, wife. I love you and I love our family, and but I was so alone. No one seemed to care. 
People laughed at me. My health was deteriorating and I was a burden to you rather than an asset to you and I didn't want to put that on you anymore. The pain racked my body so much I just couldn't bear to live with this pain any longer. Somewhere throughout the note there's going to be a moment where you can hear the deflation and the discouragement in their final words. Because the devil has mastered the art of discouragement. You know, there has really never been a divorce that has ever taken place where discouragement at some point didn't play a part. You know, they might have started out as a beautiful, happily married couple and life seemed great and they were living their fairy tale, but something in life changed and one spouse or maybe both spouses decided to sow their wild oats or do whatever it may be, but over the time, something, whether it was both parties or one party, something caused a great disconnect. And in that great disconnect, Throughout the process, one day somebody walked into the room and says, I don't love you anymore. In fact, I found somebody else that I love instead, and I don't want you anymore, and I'm going to move on to this lifestyle, and I really hate that for you. You're a good person, but I'm going to move on. And in that moment, discouragement walked into the room. Their heart sank. Even the person that may be the one that is initiating the exit, Something over the course of their marriage discouraged them to the point to look at the grass that was greener on the other side. Whether it was an emergency within the family, whether it was a bad job, whether it was a past abusive relationship, whatever it may be, discouragement somehow walked into the room and took over. So there's never been a divorce that discouragement was not some point part of the play, uh, part, uh, a part in the play. You know, there's really never been a time where someone has left church at least once in their life more discouraged than they were before they came to church. Now, I'm not saying every Sunday you come to church, you're going to feel more discouraged and deflated. In fact, no, the whole purpose of coming to church is for us not to discourage you, but to encourage you on your faith. But I would be a liar and a bad ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a hireling and a fraud if I didn't be honest with you. There's a lot of people that go to church and sometimes they leave church more discouraged than they were encouraged when they came that day. Now, I know that's painful for us to swallow. But there are a lot of people, they come to the church as the last resort, and sometimes we not only hand them the gun, we give them the bullet to finish off what they were looking for. Because they came looking for an answer. Their life was in turmoil, their marriage was in turmoil, their health was in turmoil, their children, and instead of being men and women of discernment and being men and women that have been praying all week and seeking God and in our prayer closets and asking God to give us opportunities for ministry, we came to church and we got into our holy huddles and we got into our little cliques and our little groups and we tried to focus on who we're going to go out to eat lunch with and who are we going to go do this with and somehow these new people or somehow these discouraged people or whatever get lost in the shuffle and they are forgotten about and when they think they've come to the place of their last resort, their wits in, their last thread of hope, the feet of Jesus, the hem of his garment, instead of finding the hem of his garment, they found a crowd trying to push them out instead of making way for them to get to the feet of Jesus now the woman that came to the feet of Jesus with the issue of blood and touched the hem of his garment, nobody in the crowd ever moved to let her through they blocked and hindered hindered her progress. It got so bad, the Bible says she had to press. When you look it up, that means she literally had to move people out of the way. 
way. She had to tap people on the shoulders. She had to grab them and say, please get out of my way. She is tired. She is weary. She is frail. She is, she is at her wit's end. At some point, she probably even fell under exhaustion on the ground. Hence how she got to the hem of his garment rather than to the face of Jesus Christ. At some point, she had to crawl between people's legs in desperation to try to get just to Jesus. And in all of that, everybody was so worried about what they were going to get that day that they didn't realize other people needed the Savior too. And sometimes we come to church and we're so concerned about what we are going to get out of church. Well, what is the pastor going to give me today? What is the singers? How are the singers going to move me today? How is the band going to sound to me today? How is the Sunday school teacher going to teach to me today? How is Brother Randy's coffee going to taste to me today? Is Brother Jordy going to bring a dozen donuts for me today? And we make church become about me when it never was about me. It was all about he. And what happens is over the process, people are desperately trying to get to Jesus. But we as a church, and I'm not talking a local church. I mean universal, all over the world. We have got, we've mastered the art of programs. We've mastered the art of what songs to sing to elicit emotional responses. We can sing a certain song, we know people will dance. We sing a certain song, we know people will cry. We sing a certain song, we know people will jump. We have mastered the art of programs and, and buildings and architectural structures to make people think we are the greatest of greatest. But what we have done is in the process we have pushed Jesus further out and when the people come in looking for Jesus they have so much to press through because we have made it difficult for them to find him I wonder how many people have left church all across the world just today they walk in church hoping for something a ray of hope a glimmer of sunshine they walked into a church today hoping to find peace, hoping to find just a ray of hope, hoping to find joy again, hoping just to find something. wonder how many people left the church somewhere today and they felt more deflated and defeated when they left than before they got to church that morning. I'm sure I don't have the proof of this. This is all hypothetical and a hypothesis but it would probably scare us if we really knew the truth how many people go to church each week looking for something and actually leave with nothing or even more deflated than when they got here what a shame it is for the church of Jesus Christ to one day have to stand before God and God say I sent them your way and you didn't even notice them when they came that's tough that's hard see people can say I was led God told me you can use any excuse you want to but if you lived on this life long enough you have been discouraged at least once there's not one person in this building if you truly were honest with God and with man and with yourself you have not at least one time even if it was only for one minute even if it was only for one day at some point, something happened, and there was a portion of you that was deflated. You got a bad report from a doctor. You got a bad report in a marriage. The bank account wasn't looking too good. You got, you know, something, you got tragic news. A, lost, a loved one has passed away unexpectedly. If you have lived on this earth longer 
in 10 minutes probably, you have cognizant, re uh, cognizant reasoning because children, babies don't remember things that young per se. You live long enough, you have at least some point in life been deflated and defeated. That's scary. And some of us in this room may have even been saved when discouragement hit our life. What, would, what did we do? Some people will say, well, I took it to the Lord and left it there. That sounds beautiful, and thank the Lord you did. But it's a whole lot easier to say it than it is to do it. Because more often than not, we do take it to the Lord. We just don't do the second part. We don't leave it there. We go and we pray, I now I lay me down to sleep prayer to God in the altar on Sunday. But when we get up, we pick the bag back up and take it back to us with us when we leave. We go to the altar, God help me, help me, God help me, help me. And when we get up, we put the bag back on our shoulder as if he didn't hear it. And then we get in the car and the text message comes across the phone and we see the name of that individual and in that moment before you even read the message because you don't have it on preview mode, you just see their name and it says, you know, Jeff Jones or whatever and that's the name you recognize and that's where you're discouraged. As soon as you read the name, your heart sinks in your chest. The emotions are drained from your body instantly. You may have never been there before, but I can tell you I've been in places before that as soon as the phone rang or as soon as the, the, the pinging of a message came through and I could just see the name. I didn't have to read the message yet. I could just read the name. And I felt every ounce of anything in me just drop. My heart sank. It didn't matter. It might have been I might have opened the message and it might have just been literally saying have a blessed, highly favored, wonderful day in the Lord. But before I read that because I recognized the name everything in me went We've all been there. We've all done it. Some of us have t-shirts. So how do we deal with this? First of all, you have to know what discouragement is. To define that. You have to define discouragement. You see, while most of us, we can say we know what discouragement feels like, but sometimes we couldn't put it into words. Because if you've never battled migraines, you really can't put into words what migraines feel like. Hello? If you have debilitating, I know Sister Glenda has them. I'm going to just pick on her for a minute. I know she's had, she has medicine and stuff, but sometimes she'll have a migraine that literally knocks her flat on her back, has to take the medicine, turn the lights off, go straight upstairs. It didn't matter what her agenda was for that day. That migraine said, uh, your agenda's going to stop right now. Now, she could come to church and say, Pastor, I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, that migraine, it hurts. I mean, it pounds. I mean, it feels like somebody's beating your ever-loving brains out your head. I mean, it makes you nauseous. It, she might try to put it into words, and I might say, Sister Glenda, that's horrible. That sounds horrible. You know, I, I, can, I, don't, I don't mean, man, that just that sounds it's like miserable. But you know what? I never will be able to really truly understand it because I don't have migraines. I don't understand that. I've seen my brother-in-law. I Brianna's brother, Brianna doesn't get them very often, but her brother oftentimes will get them. And I mean to the point, and, and her brother is very active, and he, he likes to work outside, I and mean, he is by no means a lazy man. But I mean, he can get them so bad that he literally just is done. Flat on his back, not working, not doing, I mean, he is out. If you've never been in a bad marriage, you can't tell somebody else what marriage a bad marriage looks like. You've never been there. And I always love it how people 
And I say this loosely, but I always love it how people can always tell you what you should do when they've never been where you've been. Well, you know, if I'd have been in your shoes, this is what I would do. Well, newsflash, you weren't, so I don't really care. Because the reality of it is, every shoe fits differently for the individual. You might say, well, if somebody ever cheated on me, I'd leave them right there. I'd take them to the cleaners. I'd sell everything I have. I'd get rid of it all. I mean, they would walk away. They wouldn't even walk away with the clothes on their back. I'd take it all. Except if you have children involved, you'll swallow a lot for your kid. Hello, preacher. You say, you can talk a big game. But sometimes it ain't as easy when the rubber meets the actual road. Sister Sherry and I have many days shared horror stories together at nursing homes and things when we were out visiting with her mom and her mom's life, all this stuff. There's a lot of things sometimes you swallow that you wish you could do much more than you can, but you don't want to cause more problems than there already are, so you swallow it. See, discouragement, we can all, some of us can, we know what it feels like, but it's hard to define. Somebody will, some may, may say, well, it's when you feel sort of down. But sometimes discouragement is more than just feeling sort of down. It's when you feel like quitting. It's when you feel like there's no need to go on. It's not like discouragement meets you on the street and says, Hello, I'm discouragement. Let's ride together today. It's not how that works. It's kind of hazy or uh, um, illusionary. Uh, it's, it's not something that you can see coming. It just shows up. See, it's like a mist that the fingers of your mind reach out for and find nothing. It's, it's something that's out there, but you don't really know where it came from, how it came from. But you can go from one day being on cloud nine and the very next day being at nothing. It's a state of mind. While it has no form, while it has no shape, while it doesn't really have physical characteristics, while no one here in this room can draw it on a picture, discouragement is effective on everybody. It is often found in your mind. No one can really tell you how it got there, and no one can tell you when it's coming. It just shows up unannounced. You never read in Scripture anybody that saw discouragement coming and said, Oh, I welcomed it with open arms. You don't read Scriptures like, The Lord is my shepherd, and I am discouraged. <laughs> don't read that. You read the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In that moment, David is encouraging himself. Uh, he didn't. You don't read scriptures like, I can do all things because I'm defeated. <laughs> no. I can do all things because I'm deflated. No. I can do all things because I'm discouraged. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> you see, nobody says, I can do everything because discouragement is my best friend. That's not how it works. Discouragement is negative. It's a state of mind contrary to Christian living. It is to be resisted and never practiced. The only person that can really shut off the doors of your mind is you. Now you say, well, preacher, you're being hard and you're trying to say things. You don't understand what I'm walking through. I may not understand, but the only person that can allow discouragement to stay is you. I can preach you to heaven. I can preach you to hell. I can sing you happy. I can sing you to pure oblivion and misery. And you can leave here saved. You can leave here lost. You can leave here spirit-filled. You can leave here not wanting anything to do with the Holy Spirit. 
You have a choice to make. And I'm not trying to make it so much red and, I mean, black and white and make it so easy to go or easy to sound like it's such an easy thing to do. But what I'm here to tell you is we serve a God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above that which my mind can think or comprehend. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let this mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus. There are some things you've got to put an eviction notice on your mind and say, devil, it's time for you to get out of my mind so the Holy Ghost can move in to my mind. Sometimes you got to get your face off of Facebook, put your face in a book. Sometimes you got to shut your brain off from the world and get along with God in a closet. Sometimes you have to decide what matters most to you. You can only change the thought processes of your Whatever you feed your mind, just like your body, is what will become of you. If you feed your mind with discouragement all the time, watch discouraging shows, watch disheartening TV shows, watch disheartening movies, read books of these sad stories all the time, well, eventually you're going to probably feel that way. If your marriage is on the rocks and you decide to go read about somebody else's fairy tale marriage where their husband is perfect, it's a Hallmark movie, he's McDreamy, he never does anything wrong, he always waits on her hand and foot, he gets up and cooks her breakfast, he gets up and pumps the gas in her car, he lays, he irons her clothes in the morning, he goes outside and shovels the snow off the car before she goes off to work, he meets her for lunch every day, he leaves his job and takes her to lunch every day, he comes home and cooks a four five course meal for her, he massages her feet with Epsom salt and put some bath and body work lotion on it when it's over. She gets out the shower. He he pampers her. He paints her own toenails for her. He, he makes sure that he fluffs her pillow and does all that. You have married a lie. That doesn't happen. And I'm going to tell you right now, ain't nobody better think the preacher's doing that for Brianna because she's going to paint her own toes. I ain't touching feet. You on your own. I might cook your breakfast. I might pump your gas. You put your feet in me, somebody's going to lose a toe. I ain't playing with your feet. God did not call, call me to be a podiatrist. He called me to flee from among those things. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you that if you already know things are on the rock, don't feed your mind things that are going to continue to push you further off the edge. If you know that you and your husband or you and your wife are already having problems, don't go try to look for the perfect mate because the devil will use your discouragement to try to find Mr. Perfect. But when you leave to go find Mr. Perfect, you're going to find out Mr. Perfect's not perfect after all. Because Hallmark paints a picture. They just don't show you the whole story. You can't watch an hour and a half movie and understand what 30 years of marriage looks like. Hello. Everybody can have a good day once in a while. If you know life is discouraging, then don't feed the discouragement more food. Don't feed that misery. You see, we all have ups and downs, lefts and right. Paul gives us the answer, the cure. Philippians 4 and 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, uh, pure lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or any think, think on those things. Don't think on discouragement. Think on the things that are true, the honest, the just, the pure, the lovely, the good report, the virtuous. He doesn't say think on the negative and the bad and the doom and the gloom and the sadness. He said don't think about that. Think on the things that are lovely and honest and pure. That's the stuff you need to focus on. Anybody can be discouraged. When you go outside tonight and your tire is flat, you can be mad. You can cuss. 
rant and rave. You can throw your hands up. You can rip your shirt. You can go kick all your tires. In fact, you can borrow Brother Randy's pocket knife and slash the other three tires on your car and just say, you know what? I don't care about nothing in this stupid car. And guess what? You're going to walk home still. It won't matter. Still going to be carless. You're an idiot now, but you're carless. Or you could not lose your ever-loving marbles and get the spare out the trunk. That's why we have one. Put it on, even if it's a small donut. Put it on. Go get the tire fixed. Because screaming, hollering, ranting, raving, cussing, throwing all the stuff up and slashing all the other three tires because one went flat did not fix the problem. You still can't drive, whether it's one tire or three tires or four tires. You can't drive till you fix the problem. The reality of what I'm saying to you tonight is we can get mad sad at the preacher. We can get mad sad at the Sunday school teacher. We can get mad sad at the band or the worship team. There comes a point you can only get so discouraged and so frustrated. If you let the devil stay, he's going to stay. There comes a point you have to make a decision when to give him an eviction notice and say, now this is the last day you live here. It's time for you to pack your bags and get out of here. You have to make that choice. I'm not saying it's easy, but sometimes it's necessary. Scientists tell us that the human brain is composed of billions of working parts. The human mind has a storage capacity to accept 10 new facts per second. They say that our brain has the capacity to, to learn 10 things in a second. That's pretty quick. It is estimated that your mind can store information equal to 100 trillion words. But we only actually use a fraction of that space in our entire life. Discouragement is not an entity within itself, but it's something we choose and permit. You can't really walk into a storage room full of discouragement and pick up a catalog and order it. Walmart doesn't carry it on the shelves. It doesn't exist without you. You can't be discouraged if there's not a you to be discouraged. Discouragement doesn't bother dead people. I've never met a dead person that got up and said, I was really discouraged last night in the cemetery. Last night was rough. Things around here were just dead. It wasn't really a good day. It's depressing around here. It's always doom and gloom. There's never a light on. You know what? All my neighbors, they're unfriendly. They never speak. You never walk into a cemetery and hear those conversations. You never heard somebody say, you know, I was dead. That was a really bad time in my life. I really, you know, I really walked through that valley of the shadow of death. I took it literal. I died for a few years. I decided it wasn't for me, so I came back. It was kind of kind of misery. I didn't like that. You, you don't hear that. Discouragement can only become alive if it has a living vessel to inhabit. So if it's coming after you, you have the power to resist the devil, so he has to flee from you. Discouragement is the opposite of, cur of courage. It is that tool of the devil. You can ask people what's the matter, and they'll say things like, oh, nothing. I'm fine. Just a little discouraged today, preacher. Sometimes it's more than just nothing. Sometimes it's the thing Satan uses to destroy me. But sometimes discouragement is displayed. And sometimes you have to look at the display of discouragement. The, dis the point of discouragement is to get you to give up. It wants you to quit. It wants you to say, I'm done. That's the goal. Just care as you make your way. I'm going to pick up part two of this next week. I'm not going to finish this today. And I'll pick up at this part, so if you're a note taker, we'll pick right back up here next week. But one thing about discouragement is discouragement doesn't really care about your feelings. When discouragement walks into your life, 
it doesn't take into consideration, you know, I really feel bad that I'm going to make Miss Alma feel bad today. So, you know what? I feel bad is discouragement for making her feel bad about being discouraged. So, discouragement doesn't really feel too bad about itself. It doesn't care. It just doesn't. When discouragement walks into the room, discouragement's not concerned about how, he, how it makes you feel. It's discouraged about how it makes it feel. Discouragement doesn't care if you're embarrassed. Discouragement doesn't care if you're arrogant. Discouragement doesn't care if you're rich. It doesn't care if you're poor. You can be a multi-millionaire and discouragement will still bother you if you let it. It doesn't care. Discouragement, you can be dirt poor. Now, I say that loosely, but you can have nothing. And discouragement doesn't care. It'll rob you of even the dirt that you have under your feet. It'll rob you of even the dirt. Discouragement is no respecter of persons. You can be saved for 40 years, spirit-filled for 39 years, and have taught Sunday school for 38 years, and have led a thousand people to the Lord. Discouragement doesn't care. You can be a baby Christian that just got saved this morning. Discouragement doesn't care. In fact, you can be a sinner on your way to hell. And if it even looks like possibly you might try to make a change of behavior, discouragement will come to your door. It doesn't care. Discouragement's not trying to make sure that it keeps you safe and in a bubble. The whole point of discouragement is to keep you feeling like no one cares. The purpose of discouragement is to tell you that church ain't going to pray for you. They got their own problems. Brother Mike, Sister Glenda aren't going to pray with you. They got their own issues they got to deal with. Sister Sherry's got enough on her plate. She ain't got time to listen to your problems. Don't go there and bother her because, you know, you know, you might see her sing on Sunday and think, man, I feel like talking to Sherry. I know she, she shared stuff in Sunday school one time and it really just spoke to my heart. And I just, or I've been to Brother Randy's Sunday school class and they just seem they can have these heart-to-heart conversations. I really would like to say something in Sunday school. Discouragement will tell you, keep your mouth shut. They've got their own problems. They ain't got time to bother you. Discouragement will tell you to shut up, not talk. Discouragement will tell you that preacher don't have time. He's got a whole congregation to deal with. Don't call and bother him. Don't call him. If you call him, you're going to bother him. He's got a family. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. He's, you know, he's got jobs. He's got people in the hospital. He's got people that's had surgery. He's got a lot on his plate. Don't bother him. That's what discouragement will tell you. You know why it's telling you that? Because it doesn't want you to get help. It wants to control you. It wants to own. Discouragement does not come from God. It is the tool the devil is not willing to sell. Because he can pry open any heart with it. And discouragement will make hearts open up to the unknown, the unseen. Discouragement will make you vulnerable. And when you become vulnerable, he takes his opportunity to come in for the knockout blow. You hear this preacher. You can read all, and I am all about, I am a counselor. I'm all about self-help books. I read self-help books. I go outside and talk to myself and carry on a conversation like a schizophrenic to help myself talk to my other self. And sometimes we and my other self don't get along. And we argue with each other to decide who wins. I've had many conversations. I had a conversation this week cutting banana trees at my house. I didn't like how one of them turned out, but the other part of me said it's got to be cut, and I cut it. Then I regretted cutting what I just cut down. So myself argued with it, and I thought, oh, God, don't let Brianna come outside. 
To this day, I have not let her go out in the backyard. I said, oh, no, no, the backyard's really muddy. We don't need to go out there. I'm waiting for that tree to please bloom before tomorrow. The reality of it is, I'm not against self-help books. They're great when they're utilized proper, properly. But you can read all the self-help books you want to. But the devil's mastered the art of beating self-help books. The devil's mastered the art of even getting you to go to church and be able to sit in church and leave defeated. He's mastered the art of even allowing you to get to church to leave feeling worse than you came. He's mastered the art of twisting church to you. There are people all over this world, they go to church faithfully, but they're not okay in here. You know, there are people that are teaching Sunday school classes in church today all over this world. They really didn't feel like teaching today. They didn't feel like they had a word from God at all. They felt like God was far from them. They had to rely. They had to be like David. They had to encourage their own self in the Lord before they got here. They had to believe that, Lord, I, I know this has to be true what I'm teaching, but, but since they struggled even teaching it because in that moment they didn't even know if they could believe that word because they were defeated. You know, there's preachers that have stood behind sacred lectures, Brother James, all over this nation today that are thinking about tomorrow calling their state overseer and quitting church thinks life's great, they're in the middle of a building program, the church numbers are great, they just beat their tithe record, things are going great what they don't know is that preacher's about to die inside and he's he's like one millisecond of a wave tomorrow morning calling and saying I'm done with it all and quitting he's tired of council meetings he's tired of church fights he's tired of disgruntled members he's tired of animosity, he's tired of hearing the stuff going on behind the scenes everybody wants the law, oh he's the best guy we've ever had, but he knows what they're saying on the phone on Monday morning hello ready to give it up there are people that have sang this morning on church praise teams all over this nation I raise a hallelujah but really inside of them they didn't have a hallelujah to raise they say, God, you're so good, but they had to sing it almost Sister Nina for themselves to believe it because they didn't feel too good this morning when they sang it. There are people that played instruments this morning and used their gifts for God, but they rather would have been rather have rather have rather been underneath the bed with the pillows over their eyes and, and the sheets over their head, and, and they would have rather buried themselves in a dark room than play for Jesus because they're miserable inside their heart. The question that I have is what happened to them today? Did they leave the same way they came? Now we sing all these great songs and I'm going to be done. We sing all these great songs like you won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick of life, but the Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. That sounds great. Don't misread it. Don't be like, Pastor, you just blasphemed the song. No, that's a great song. But how often do we actually do that? We can sing all one all the time, I raise a hallelujah, but how often do we look around those in our church, those in our family, and those around us that God puts in our path and recognize they don't have a hallelujah to give? How many times do we sing, you won't leave here like you came, but how many people actually do leave here like they came, and maybe even worse? They came looking for hope, but all they heard was us gossiping about people. They came looking for hope, and all they heard was us fighting amongst ourselves. They came looking for hope, and all they heard, saw us do was do everything else but be the people of Jesus with his hands and feet extended. You know, it doesn't matter if the church had 10 people this morning 
or the church had 5,000 people this morning. Probably every church today had at least one person that walked in today that was just not okay. In fact, I would surmise that you could probably get down all the way to just five people. If a church this morning only had five people walk in here, at least one out of those five did not come in a, with a perfect day. Something already had went south and they were struggling to get through the day. Maybe they're having issues with their children, their grandchildren, their spouse. Maybe it's their job. Maybe they were getting ready to foreclose on their house. You don't know. They didn't tell anybody. It was just a miracle to get them in the building today. They were a part of worship today. What did we give them? Did we give them Jesus? Or did we just send them out the way they came? I don't know who's here tonight in-house. There may be somebody watching online. There may be somebody that streams this on Tuesday afternoon. Wherever you are, whoever you are, and whenever you watch this, I want to tell you God never intended to leave you where you are. He wants to bring you from where you are to where He wants you to be. Now, it may not happen overnight, and it may not be instantaneous. But He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And even if nobody else knows on what island you're circling on right now, and even if the devil tells you nobody knows where you are, I just want to let you know the devil's lying to you. God knows exactly where you are. He knows where you're at. He didn't lose you. He didn't lose you. He knows where you are. He didn't lose you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to embarrass anybody today. But I wonder in the sound of my voice today, I had this message prepared in my heart. I wonder if anybody today would say, Pastor, I'm just not okay right now. You don't have to tell me what it is. Just I don't need to know your business. But you would just say, Pastor, right now, I'm a little discouraged, a little deflated, a little downhearted, and just my heart's heavy. I'm just not, I'm not myself. I'm not okay. You'd say, Pastor, when you pray tonight, would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up? No one looking around but me and Jesus. Is there anybody? Pastor, it's just me. Yes, I see that hand. Are there any others? Yes, God bless you. Thank you. Any others? I don't want to leave you out. Would you just, nobody wants to embarrass you, but I don't want you to leave here. I want to encourage you today. Jesus came by tonight in the form of this message to remind you you're not alone. You're not alone. He's brought people out of depression before. He's brought people through cancer before. He's brought bad marriages out of the brink of darkness before. He's done it before. He can do it again. He can do it again. I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to embarrass anybody and bring them up here to parade themselves in front of you but I'm going to ask you to stand all over the house I'm going to pray I'm going to ask you to pray with me together there were multiple I'm not going to tell you how many but multiple hands that were lifted in this house and said pastor I'm not okay I'm discouraged I'm in a place I, I just I'm lonely and they needed something from God now they may be standing right beside you and you don't even know it they may be on the aisle across from you and you don't know it. But there are multiple hands today that said, Pastor, I need 
God today to help me. So I want us to pray as a concert prayer together before Brother Randy closes us out. I want us to pray together for the people that raise their hands. That God, and, and you don't have to know who they are. You can just simply say, God, you already know who they are. But can we pray for them today as the body of Christ? So when they leave here tonight, even if they don't remember anything else, they know 30-something people prayed for them tonight, and they we are on their side tonight. They don't have to leave here thinking no one cares. There was a group of people tonight that cared for them. Can we pray? Let's pray together. Father, you are wonderful. You are glorious. You are majestic. You are mighty. Lord, we know that the Bible teaches we wrestle not against flesh and blood. God, we wrestle, God, against spiritual wickedness and high places and destructive forces in the spirit realm. There are multiple people tonight that raised their hand in discouragement. They said, Pastor, that message, it's for me. I'm the one that needs. Oh, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. I'm defeated, deflated. I need God. God, you saw their hand. And God, you have no doubt probably have heard their heart. And God, I'm asking along with the other 30-something people in this room to go meet them where they are. Don't leave them on the island alone. You didn't intend to leave them where they are, to stay where they are. So I'm asking you to go to where they are and bring them from the brink back. Bring them from the, talk them down off the cliff. Talk them down off the ledge. Bring them back from the point of where they are and to a place of knowing that there is a God who cares for them. That they can cast their cares upon you for you care for them. They can realize there's a God who's there on their behalf. I don't need to know what it is that has them defeated or discouraged. But I know there's a God, an all-seeing eye God who knows all things, the end from the beginning. And you can take care of it even when no one else knows but you. Father, I ask God that there may be people that stream this service later. God, I know people right now that are in their home bedridden from surgeries and from other things. God, they have battled for years. Depressive thoughts, depressive mindsets, pain has racked their body. They've been defeated and discouraged because their quality of life has deteriorated beyond measure. And you have done miracles, God, before. In fact, the word, Lord, says that you can restore the year that the canker worm and the lotus worm, the plowman can overtake the reaper. You are a redeemer of time. God, you can give them better health in their latter years than what they have been dealing with in the past couple of years. You can let pain blocks work. You can let discs and back regenerate. You can let pain subside. You can let nauseousness of stomach to be to subside. You can do things that one day they can say to God and to man, I'm telling you, I've been to the brink of the edge. I have walked the road of depression. I have been to the point of no return. But God came. And he grabbed me by the hand and he walked me every step of the way back to where I am today. It is not by might nor by our power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I can't do it. This church can't make it happen. But together and our, linking our faith together with each other, we can get a hold to the one who can. 
If two or three agree is touching any one thing, you are in the midst. We can claim it in Jesus' name because your word says that your promises are forever settled in heaven. Not one dot, not one tittle of your word would pass away. That you would accomplish the things that you had promised and said you would do. So God, I'm praying along with 20-something, 30-something other people in this room. God, that you would show yourself, you'd show out, you would reveal to those discouraged today. And you bring them back so that not I get credit, not that this church gets credit not that even the individual gets credit but God we can tell this world and we can beam the light of Christ around those or to those around us and decree and declare look at what God has done and you get all the praise for it God as we get ready to go to and fro our destination we're getting ready to embark and disembark to our humble places of rest Father I know there are people that on Monday morning the enemy's going to come knocking. The enemy's going to say, you really think God heard you last night? You really think those people are going to pray for you after last night? You think they really care? God, I know the enemy's not going to let those that are struggling right now walk out of here with confidence. He's going to do everything he can to make sure they feel even more deflated than they came today. But God... I rebuke that foul spirit. I rebuke that spirit of, if you will, conflict, that spirit of obstinance, that spirit of rebellion. Father, I rebuke that. And when they leave this place, no matter what the devil tells them, I want you to speak life over them. In fact, your word says that you pray for us and you sing songs over us. God, I'm praying that when they leave this place, when the devil tries to come and tell them God wasn't paying attention to you, I'm asking you to pray on their behalf when they don't know what to pray. You pray and you sing over them and God, you speak life over their situation. Father, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Father, may you bless us and keep us. Your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. And guard our hearts until you come again. And we love you, Lord. Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the words you've given us tonight, Lord. The words of your servant, David. Lord, I thank you for that. pray that you will continue to abide with us and help us. Lord, for those that are depressed, pray that you will cover them. Help us to bring them to remembrance every night as we pray. Let them know that we care for them and we love them. Pray that you will touch each of us, Lord, and help us to use the words we've heard for thy kingdom and bring us back at the appointed hour. We ask in Jesus' holy, precious name.